0: giving space to nature, you know, making that space so that actually things can benefit and thrive.
1: Hi, I'm Holly and welcome to my podcast Through the Trees, where I talk to my guests about a whole range of nature-based subjects. Today, I'm talking to Mike Toms from the British Trust for Ornithology about their weekly garden birdwatch project, the changing in bird populations and the amazing alternative wilding work at NEP in Sussex. I hope you enjoy this episode and thanks for tuning in. Hi Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, a question that I ask everybody just to see where people are at, uh, what is your favourite tree species and why?
0: So I guess for me it's going to be the hazel and I you know it's not really a canopy species it's more of kind of the understory but it's the species I grew up with on the kind of edge of the wild down in the south of England um, and it was the the tree that was always around me you know we played with it created things from it uh, the nesting stick I use when I go out monitoring nests is made from hazel you know so it, it's a tree that's really important to me for those reasons.
1: And it's important to other species and I cover coppicing um, in one of my other podcasts and how that extends the life of the hazel so I think that's a really good choice. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so you're just up the road in Norfolk I'm in Suffolk and um, what a place to be based um, especially with the Norfolk Broads for loving birds and being able to spot and view and bird watch what a great location we have
0: it's a, it's a fantastic part of the world and I think you know being you know we're in Thetford. That's where BTO is based. So we're kind of right on the Norfolk Suffolk border, I and mean, we're in the heart of the Brecks. And the Brecks are a really special landscape. You know, lots of really interesting uh, species, lots of rare species. Um, but as you say, you know, we've got the Norfolk Broads, we've got the North Norfolk coast. So we've got a really fantastic suite of wildlife that we can we can go out and watch.
1: Amazing. Um, so you've been working for the British Trust for Ornithology for um, I don't know actually know how long you've been working oh. for them. <laughs>
0: So I've been, yeah, I've been there since um, 1994. I came in, and uh, my first role at the Trust was actually running a national survey of barn owls. So f- since then, it's kind of progressed on to do lots of other different things. But it's it's been fascinating, absolutely fascinating.
1: And what started your love of birds and wildlife in particular? Yeah.
0: I guess as a kid, you know, just having. Um, supportive parents and stuff having a garden with wildlife in it uh, and just playing a lot in the garden and seeing it and I remember you know at school I think there were three of us that were kind of into natural history and that was it nobody else was so I still played football and things like that but there were three of us that kind of would go off and we'd fish you know we'd bird watch we'd we'd find wildlife and, and it just went from there and then you know, later on having supportive teachers, inspiring teachers who were, um, you know, biology teachers that were really into natural history and ecology. And that just kind of set me going, really.
1: And I think that is very important for younger people, especially to have that adult role model. Uh, it might not necessarily be their parents like with you, It were but teachers who are there and who can open the door because I know that a, uh, a study I did a few years ago a lot of parents wear the boundary just because they were nervous and they didn't quite understand the outdoors. Um, So I do think, again, having a contact with nature, whatever form of nature that is uh, from a young age, is really, really important. Um, So the BTO uh, aims to understand how and why bird populations are changing so can you tell me a little bit about the work that you do and and we'll touch upon the garden bird watch um in a minute
0: yeah absolutely so we've been around since the 1930s and and really our ethos is around collecting the evidence that tells us about change in the environment and what that means for bird populations and it's really a partnership you know we've got about 60,000 volunteers that participate in BTO surveys some of those uh participate from home, watching birds in their garden. Others go out and do structured surveys, uh, things like the breeding bird survey, where people go out twice every summer recording uh, breeding birds, right through to people that do ringing and nest recording. And it's that partnership with those volunteers, with the survey organisers and the scientists within the organisation, so the paid staff, uh, that enables us to collect that information, to analyse it, interpret it, and then make sure it's used and it's used in ways that kind of underpins conservation action. So it supports things like red listing. Uh, it informs policy decisions, land management decisions. So the work of those volunteers has a real impact in terms of, you know, what the bird populations in the UK are like, how we look after them, how we test solutions, uh, conservation solutions, and make sure that they're working. And it, it's highlighted, you know, the farmland bird decline, the big decline in farmland birds in the 1970s and 1980s. BTO data kind of demonstrate that really starkly Um, the declining breeding success of things like peregrine and sparrowhawk following the introduction of um, pesticides you know again it's picked up through the schemes that we run and learning about you know where birds migrate to and from the changes in their productivity their survival rates all of that information comes from this fantastic network of volunteers who go out and collect the information for us.
1: That's amazing. They do such amazing work. But it's not just official volunteers uh, who help you. You run um, a weekly throughout the year garden bird watch project, which has th- thousands of people. Um, and what is it that the citizens have to do?
0: Well, I mean, you mentioned citizens. And of course, the term that people use these days is citizen science, this idea that citizens participate in science. So all of the schemes that we run could be described as citizen science. And it's just kind of the different scales on which that happens. So, you know, at one end, you have the bird ringers who are trained and licensed. You have to be trained and licensed to bird ring. But you also then have people doing garden bird watch and all they're doing is each week throughout the year is watching the birds and other common garden wildlife in their gardens, noting the numbers that they see. And those records that come into us build up into this fascinating picture of how these different species use gardens throughout the year, how that use changes with season uh, and how it changes between the years. And so we see things like, um, you know, the, the arrival of winter visitors, their departure. We see the emergence of hedgehogs, because that's a, a species that we monitor through GBW. And we can look for the influence um, of other factors on, on those patterns. So it could be climate change. So we might expect to see earlier emergence of butterflies and hedgehogs. We might to see, might expect to see fewer winter visitors coming in because of changing weather conditions um, and we also look in relation to surrounding habitat so gardens that are more urban in their location will have different birds coming in so it's really understanding you know the the suite of reasons why birds use gardens and the resources that we provide and anybody can do it it's free um, it's open to all so if you've got you know if you're watching from your kitchen sink um, out onto your garden even if you don't have a garden but you have a window feeder that information can still be submitted and it's really, really valuable for us.
1: And I think that would be amazing for anyone to take part because it doesn't need to take up hours and hours of their day, but also it can offer a mindful peacefulness throughout their daily routine. Put the kettle on, sit down, and not only are they helping you gather data, but it could be good for them as well, for their own mental health to take 20 minutes away from their laptop work because everyone's working from home at the moment. So I think this is something that everybody should sign up to. For 2020, your results are now in. What sort of thing did you find?
0: Yeah, it's been really fascinating. And I think, you know, one of the big things for us around 2020 was obviously lockdown. There were many more people um, at home and you know we saw another 10,000 people sign up last year to the project which is fantastic and they are as you say getting these these well-being benefits we know from various studies that have been done that access to nature has significant well-being benefits and if people are participating in something like on birdwatch they're watching the birds in their garden more intently they're taking more interest and they're rewarded through doing that and i think that's that's really good and the kind of things they're showing, I mean, you know, it was a really interesting year because some of our smaller bird populations um, had been hit quite badly by beasts from the east back in kind of 2018 and through into 2019. And, you know, we we saw in the data from last year a recovery, you know, so things like long tailed tips coming back, wren coming back in terms of the numbers that we're seeing in gardens. So that was really interesting. And then we get things like the the typical kind of um, seasonal patterns, the differences. So it was a warm spring last year uh, and it was an early spring. And so we saw things like holly blue butterfly, for example, Um, the peak in garden use for them. um, We have two peaks because they're double brooded. So they're first on the wing early in spring and that generation's on holly. And then later in the year, there's a second generation and they um, use ivy as their food plant for their caterpillars. And that first peak last year was four weeks earlier than it usually is uh, and that really underlined just the impact of the of the mild weather but the breeding season last year wasn't great for quite a lot of birds because um, we had that very dry spell and in particular that hit uh, birds like blackbird and song thrush which will feed on soil dwelling invertebrates so we know about those impacts from the nest record scheme, but within Garden Bird Watch, we actually saw lower than usual reporting rates of those species. So, you know, we're, we're picking up the signals of long term climate change, but also short term effects that are linked to you know what's happening with the weather at any particular time.
1: And it's that sort of data which can then be shown to people who can make changes, who can help with different things like climate change. Um, And do you think it was similar sort of reasons for the drop in house sparrows and starlings as well?
0: They're two interesting species because they're both red listed. You know, when people talk about garden birds, many people are kind of quite dismissive. Oh, they're just garden birds. Mm. They're common. Um, But actually, both of them, both house sparrow and starling have seen these very long term, very big drops in their populations. Um, And we're still learning about the, the reasons for those. In the case of house sparrow, you know, we, we certainly can see a link with loss of nest sites um, because um, they nest in cavities and there are fewer cavities around urban areas. But the other big change has been um, a decline in insect food. And even though the adults feed on plant material and seed, they actually feed their chicks on invertebrates. And we know that invertebrate populations have declined. And we think that has an impact on house sparrows. So we've seen this long term decline in house sparrows uh, through garden bird data from BTO. Um, And we've seen different patterns to that, rural versus urban, the timing of the decline is slightly different. But encouragingly, that decline is slowing um, so the last few years, we've actually seen a bit of an increase in the breeding populations, um, but it's a regional pattern. So they're doing better in Wales, Northern Ireland, and Scotland than they are in England. And there's definitely a kind of northwest-southeast split, and that probably again is linked to it could be climatic factors, it could be habitat management factors, uh, and those kind of regional patterns we can use to start to dig in and understand well what's driving this, what's behind this. Um, so yeah with both of those species there's ongoing work looking at why they're declining
1: that's great that you have um, started to look into this and maybe more people who are doing things to make their garden more wild friendly maybe they could make a bug house and leave some dead leaves and dead wood around their garden to kind of maybe try and encourage more insects in in which should help some of these species
0: yeah absolutely
1: I know there are the birds coming in for nesting at the moment and many people have probably seen blue tits or whatever birds they've got in their garden making way to their nest boxes. Uh, is this data that would be useful for you to know as well?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things about gardens is people sometimes are a little bit dismissive or think they can't make a difference because their gardens, you know, your own garden's small. Um, But collectively, there's more land under gardens than there is under nature reserves. So what we do within our gardens makes a difference. So about a third of the blackbirds in the UK breed in gardens or urban landscapes. So if you can do things that are good in your garden, that is going to be really, really positive. So putting up a nest box, you know, Wildlife-friendly gardening, uh, not using herbicides or pesticides in the garden. Those are all really positive things. And in terms of nest boxes and and nest box use, yeah, we run a scheme called uh, Nesting Neighbours, and that's really aimed at people who have gardens and have birds nesting in them. And whether that's in a a nest box or whether it's an open nest in your hedge, um, you know, come to our website, bto.org, look for Nesting Neighbours and, and submit records because each of those nesting attempts, being able to monitor it through, tells us about how the birds are doing it tells us about their productivity and you know bird populations can go up or go down and the things that determine that are movements into and out of the population and we get information on that from ringing the numbers of um, young birds being recruited into the population so nesting neighbors and the nest record scheme tell us about that and then mortality individuals dying and the ringing scheme tells us about that so we're building up a picture of the life cycle of these birds. And, you know, contributing records of the birds nesting in your garden provides one piece of that puzzle for us.
1: And it's a puzzle that's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger throughout the years, which is great. So someone might be, yes, uh, might be thinking, yes, okay, I want to sign up, but I don't actually know how to identify the birds. Um, For someone who's thinking that, you've got some great information on your uh, website, haven't you?
0: Yeah, we've we've got a load of information we host. I mean, we've got, you know, bird ID videos, birdsong basics videos, um, which are really great little pointers towards, you know, recognising species. But we also provide training. You know, over the last year, we've done a lot of virtual training. Uh, So we've got things like bird ID basics uh, training and you you sign up and the, the tutors are great i mean they're they're bto staff they're really passionate about birds they're really good communicators they're fun and they're funny um, and but the feedback's been fantastic so we've had you know recently we've just done a, um, a series of id workshops on identifying goals um, but there's a basic bird id one coming up so do look at our website there's plenty of opportunities to sign up to these and and so yeah develop and i think bird watch is always a learning you know, you're developing your skills all the way through your birdwatching career. So don't be put off. You know, if you're coming in, you don't know the difference between a house sparrow and a dunnock, then there's the opportunity to learn that. And once you've learned that, then you might move on to something else. I
1: think that's fantastic. I think that is the sort of information that anybody from any background of any age can really um, find useful. We've got the birds in the garden and we want to feed them now, there's something about peanuts, which uh, people are a bit confused about, isn't there? Can you enlighten us?
0: So I think, yeah, we, we get a lot of queries from people. And again, our website's packed full of information on, you know, what you can do to help birds and whether that's wildlife friendly gardening or whether that's providing food. There's lots of advice there. And two of the areas that really we get a lot of questions around are, are food and disease. And And, you know, when it comes to food. What you're looking to do is put out uh, types of food that are good for birds, that are beneficial for birds. Um, and peanuts, you know, are really good because they've got a high oil content. Um, you know, they're they're packed full of energy and they're great for birds. But people worry that if you put them out whole, um, that they might cause birds to choke because they're you know they're quite big. And um, certainly the advice is to feed peanuts behind a wire mesh, because I think that's, you know, that's a sensible way to do it. Um, But there isn't really any evidence that um, whole peanuts cause choking. And I know people kind of say, oh, you know, I had a a brood of uh, dead uh, blue tit or great tit chicks in my nest box Um, and I'm worried that they've they've choked on peanuts and there is you know there are cases where people have found such broods uh, they've been post mortemed, and the chicks have been found with peanut fragments um, inside them But that's really because the the chicks actually um, aren't getting any insects. You know, their parents will be looking for insects. They can't find any. So the chicks are starving. Uh, And in desperation, they turn to peanuts and probably are just bringing in peanut fragments. So the peanuts haven't killed the chicks. The chicks have starved to death because they're not getting enough food. Um, And that's a problem, you know, within gardens for for many birds, because we just don't have really large numbers uh, of invertebrates there. And that's why wildlife friendly gardening, choosing the right plants, you know not using pesticides can make such a difference so it's it's important to look at these things in the round Um, and you know it's the same with other foods think about the foods you're feeding um, think about the types of birds you're getting and just make sure you're putting out the right foods at the right time and in the right way
1: Uh, that's really interesting thank you and also that similar uh, similar subject with a lot more people are now going to parks than they would have they would have gone to their local park instead of driving distances to say a bigger national park in these parks are ponds and there's a lot of again a bit of confusion about what are we supposed to be feeding our ducks because we've all gone with our grandparents as children down to the pond to feed the ducks some bread but what now like now should we be doing
0: yeah it's an interesting one and you see an awful lot of, of stuff online about this and you know it's again it's one of those areas where there's a lot of stuff out there and a lot of people saying do it, it's safe. Other people saying, don't do it, it's not safe. Um, And it's one of those things where there just hasn't been the research done, you know, and BTO is all about, okay, we do research into bird populations, we publish scientific papers that have been peer reviewed, and we generate evidence. So I always look and say, well, okay, what's the evidence for this? Who's looked at this? Who's tested it? And there really isn't anything there, you know, so we can't say a definitive do or don't do this I mean the ducks and as with other wild birds you know they are able to make decisions about what they feed on and so if you look at your garden feeders in the winter you will find that birds come in and use them um, but at other times of the year those birds are feeding elsewhere so they're making decisions about where they feed and it's the same to an extent with the ducks on the pond they could go elsewhere but they are making a you know they are able to live there and they are feeding on the handouts that we're providing alongside natural food that they're also getting from the pond itself and they're rearing chicks um, successfully so I would say to people look you know we've been doing that for many generations it's not an issue in that sense and it is a really good opportunity for people to engage with wildlife because you know for many kids being taken to the park to see ducks close up that will be their first close encounter with a bird and that might inspire them to go on and, and do other things and it might inspire them to actually have their own wildlife garden one day in the future, which is going to be hugely beneficial.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's um, a good answer to that. (laughs) So talking of parks and landowners and rewilding, um, or not rewilding as Isabella Tree puts it in her book Wilding, uh, the NEP experience, uh, experiment down in West Sussex is something that's really interesting and something which I think uh, more people, more farm owners, landowners should be looking at. And they've even got turtle doves breeding there now. What are your views on uh, Isabella and, and um, NEP?
0: NEP's NEP's an amazing place. I mean, I'm really lucky that I've been able to go there for the last few years because One of the things that we do at BTO is run training courses for people that want to learn how to find and monitor nests. Um, And I'm involved in a couple of those courses, and one of those is based at NEP. And it is an amazing place, I mean, just in terms of the density of birds uh, and other wildlife that's there. You know, not just the turtle doves, but things like nightingale, really good numbers of nightingale. You know, looking at other taxa, things like purple emperor butterfly in really good numbers. And I think, you know, that kind of approach, looking at... um, Farmed landscapes that aren't productive, and that was one of the problems that Isabella and, and Charlie Burrell um, encountered. There was that they it was really hard to make a living farming that land as a traditional farm. Being able to wild it has opened up other uh, commercial opportunities for them. You know, from wild camping to lots of visitors to ecological things to the meat that comes from the uh, large herbivores that wander around and actually manage the landscape. And I think that's really to be encouraged, looking at these alternative land uses and making more space for nature and accepting that, you know, farming doesn't have to be one way. It can be different ways. And I think that's really, really important. And it's the same with our woodlands, you know, and our other habitats, giving space to nature, you know, making that space so that actually things can benefit and thrive. Um, And people have the opportunity to come there and encounter those you know those species and hopefully take something away from that back to the city and you know to to be more considerate around the natural world as a basis to that.
1: Absolutely I think it's brilliant and uh, I haven't personally been down there but I would love to at some point after all this lockdown and things. um, I did interview her for the Wainwright Golden Beer Book Prize. Um and yeah, she is absolutely fascinating. And that is a book that I would definitely recommend, Wilding by Isabella Tree. But have you got um another book that to do with either bird identification or have you got an accessible book which you think that would be really great for somebody to read who's interested?
0: Yeah, there's there's a book by um Kate Risley and Claire Sim, um, called garden birds and wildlife and uh, it's a really good kind of um, overview of birds in gardens so that it's a mixture of text uh, photographs Uh, it covers some of the other taxa identification as well so things like common garden butterflies Uh, it touches on wildlife gardening so it's a really good introduction Uh, and it uses some of the information that comes out of BTO schemes to actually kind of highlight which species you're likely to see when provides information on you know the number of nesting attempts they make how many eggs they have and, and all those kind of things um and it's kind of it's really good because it's kind of yeah it's condensed all of that knowledge into a really nice little attractive book so I'd, I'd recommend that and then as you develop bird watching wise you know i think the collins bird id guide what we call the black book is kind of the go-to no one's really done it as well um and it's fantastic and it's the kind of thing that's also available as an app now so it, you know it's, it's accessible to different different generations you know different ways people work
1: brilliant thank you I think we definitely had at uni and um, there were me and some people in the house and Ash was a twitcher and he would go off at 3am up to Scotland or t- to charter some plane with some other um, friends whose little uh, pager would go off and he'd be gone at three in the morning and we meant to be in lesson um in our lecture the next day and you know where's ash always oh, off again twitching but he always uh, had the collins books out on the side and um so i'm a yes very familiar with those ones <laughs> um how can people keep up to date with the bto on social media to kind of see what you guys are up to
0: so i guess the the, the three places to look so we're on twitter um, at underscore BTO. Uh, we're on Facebook, the BTO. Uh, and we're on Instagram, BTO Birds. And, you know, we use all of those channels. Um, you know, it's great to be able to share cracking images through Instagram to inspire people with that. Twitter's where we kind of put most of our stuff. Um, and that's really good for highlighting what kind of research is coming out. The work that we're doing, trying to encourage more diversity um, and inclusion around uh, bird watching and also citizen science. You know, that's been really important for us. We've got a youth advisory panel now um who are really helping us make really big strides forward in terms of making sure that that younger generation and you touched on this at the start about role models you know as a kid i looked to adults as my role models um and there were three of us in the class that were into natural history today with social media you know young people can engage with other young people and have young people as their role models so i think it's it's really really important and social media is key for that so do look at our channels and then facebook you know for us it gives us an opportunity to have a bit more detail to have more of a communication and correspondence conversation uh, with our supporters and you know and wider audiences too
1: brilliant thank you and I think what you said that um, inclusion and accessibility is really important because I work with Debbie who is wheelchair-bound and her daughter-in-law who is deaf and they have started, um, Debbie has learned to sign now, to learn how to say mountain and rivers and all these natural worlds. And I think it is important that you might be deaf, so you might not be able to hear the songbird noise, but you can visualise in with some binoculars, you know, or without in your garden. So I think it is important that we do try and um, create content and share stories that that is for everybody so I think that's great what you're doing Um, and I look forward to keeping in touch and um, thank you so much for your time today
0: (laughs) That's an absolute pleasure, thank you Holly
1: At the end of every episode I share a quote which I feel sums up everything we've been talking about and my quote today is from organic architecture designer Frank Lloyd Wright Study nature Love nature stay close to nature, it will never fail you.